Well, good morning. I'm glad that uh, everyone's here this morning. Recognize again, some of you are newer to Crossroads, or this might even be your first time here. We welcome you here. We're glad that you're here. And uh, again, want to let you know that this morning's message is not going to contain a single larger section of Scripture. On the back of your bulletin, I've got, uh, I think, four different ones that are listed there. If you want to kind of follow along or get home and, and track that, you can. Um, and I would, on Sunday mornings, we really would encourage you, bring your Bible, bring your personal Bible that you can write in, that you can highlight in. Um, it's a great tool at other times in your life when you're looking at a scripture and you've written some notes. Uh, some people actually write the day that they heard a sermon or what it was about and make some connections and stuff. Uh, it's certainly okay to circle, highlight, underline words and those sorts of things, uh, and uh, we're glad when you do that. So this morning, I want <clears throat> to actually start in kind of a unique way. I want to confess as one of the pastors here at Crossroads that I am not always what you see on Sunday mornings. Uh, I love serving here, and I hope to have the joy and the privilege of serving here at Crossroads Napoleon for a long, long time. But there are days when I get discouraged. I get discouraged by some of the godlessness that I see in our culture and how that seems to be ramping up more and more. But if I'm really honest with you, I am more discouraged by the sinfulness of my own heart. I won't bore you with, with all the details this morning, but most days I am readily aware that there is a gap between who I want to be, who I'm called to be, and, and who I am in reality. For example, when... Uh, I got engaged to Lynn. In my mind, I had a goal. I had kind of an idea of the kind of husband that I wanted to be. I wanted, as Scripture calls us to, I wanted to love her as Christ loved the church. And if you ask Lynn, she will probably tell you that I love her well. And yet, in my heart, I'm well aware of the times and the days where I fall short as a husband. And the same thing goes for my role as a father and as a pastor to you all folks. Uh, on a Sunday, I look better than in reality I really am. And again, by no means am I a bad father, and I try to serve here with integrity and with sacrifice, but I'm aware of attitudes and heart issues that my girls and none of you are aware of. I look better on Sunday than I really am. Now, none of you answer out loud, but can any of you relate to how I'm feeling and to what I'm describing to you? Have you ever had a time when you responded to a situation with less integrity or less courage than you really wanted to? My guess is that all of you have. And since I'm being honest about the fact that I'm not at all at times who you think I am. I can be honest about the fact that my sin nature in those times tells me to hide. It encourages me to pretend and to be something on the outside that I'm not on the inside. And when we pretend, we take on and saddle ourselves with a huge weight of pressure. And I'm not sure why this is, but historically, historically, the church, where we are this morning, on Sunday mornings, 
is a place where people tend to pretend. They tend to feel the pressure to act like everything is going okay. We come here on Sunday, but on the ride here, maybe we've screamed at somebody else in the car. Uh, on, on the day before, maybe we have been tripped up with a, a sin struggle in our life like we've never been tripped up before. Uh, maybe we've had a fight with our spouse, and yet when we hit the doors, there's this pressure to put on a smile and act like everything is okay. In church, we typically look like we're more put together than we really are. We're on our best behavior. And one of the problems with pretending to be something that we're not is that it leaves us with this nagging, nagging fear that if people really knew who we were on the inside, they wouldn't like us so much. As a result, we have the fear that we are going to be rejected by other people. Church, this morning, I want to suggest to you that we all have a God-given need to be authentically known and accepted by others. We all need relationships where we can drop the masks that we hide behind and we can be ourselves. We need relationships where we don't feel the pressure to pretend that we have it all together because none of us has it all together all the time. We need a place where we can drop the fear without being judged or uh, fear of rejection. When you find a circle of people where you can truly, truly be yourself and be accepted, that's a powerful, powerful thing. I have a lot of friends, uh, some of them are here today, who have been a part of or are a part of a 12-step group, 12-step program. And many of those friends have told me that God has used that group to change their lives in a radical way. Some have even gone so far as to say that those groups have literally saved their lives. And yet, I want you to think about the fact, most 12-step groups are not filled with particularly healthy people. In fact, to, to get into a 12-step group, you have to admit that your life has become unmanageable. Your life, in a lot of ways, has actually become a total mess. Yet there is something incredibly healing and powerful about being in a group of people who make a conscious decision to stop pretending that they have it all together. And here's what we say about groups of people like that. We say those people are real. Those people are genuine. They're authentic. May have all kinds of problems, but they're real and they're authentic. Friends, you and I were made by God for real connection in authentic, real community. We were made to be known and fully known. We were made to interact with people in such a way that they knew our good parts and our bad parts, and they still accepted us. And church, the place 
where this kind of connection is supposed to take place, like, like it's not supposed to take place anywhere else, is in fact the church. And this morning, I want to do myself to con- do, do my very best to convince you that although all that we experience here on Sunday mornings, all that we've just experienced here on Sunday mornings, even though it is awesome, it is not the best stuff. The best stuff the church has to offer takes place outside of this building on another day than Sunday morning. It's where real life in small groups is meant to change our lives. Connecting in community really has been God's ideal from the very beginning. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but God himself exists in a community and has always existed in a community, a small community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity. God's original design involves people, you and I, being born into small, healthy, safe communities that we call families. Jesus himself, when he walked on this earth, lived most of his life in small group community. He gathered 12 men and did life with them, lived with them, ate with them, uh, did ministry with them. Within that 12, he even spent some extended time with just a smaller group of three. God established a worshiping community that you and I get to be a part of. It's called the church. So listen to to Romans 12, verses 4 and 5. It says what happens when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul writes, just as each one of us has one body with many members. He's talking about our, our literal physical bodies here. And these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, in a relationship with Jesus Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others listen to that again we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others when we receive the gospel when we put our faith and our trust in what jesus christ has done for us we become a part of god's church the family of god And as part of that, we have the privilege, and folks, we also have the responsibility to love and to care for each other. The apostle uses a simple example of our physical bodies with many parts. And for the parts to function well in our physical body, they have to be connected and and work in harmony. In the Bible, there's no category for the I'll go it alone follower of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have expressed faith in Jesus. You as a person, as you've committed to love Jesus, it is assumed that that commitment to love Jesus will transpond into a commitment to love his people and to be connected relationally to his body, the church. Connection is vital. Now, gathering to worship together and focus on the Bible in rows like we're seating right now on Sunday mornings is awesome. However, when it comes to real life change, we believe what many, many other churches believe and talk about, 
that doing life in circles is even better than rows. Being in a small group outside of Sunday mornings where we can talk face to face and look each other in the eyes and interaction is where real life transformation takes place best. So for the remainder of our time this morning, uh, I want to call attention to three different sections of Scripture where we as a body of Christ are called to do something. And I want to use these three sections of Scripture to make the case that we can much more effectively do these things that we're called to do in smaller groups than we can in a large group like this on Sunday morning. So if again, you want to take your your bulletin, James chapter 5, verse 15. James was the They believe the the literal brother of Jesus Christ, but James was also one of the early church leaders. And in his letter to the church, James says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So what I want to do right now is have everybody stand up and find a partner. You don't want to do this, Greg. (laughs) I love that that you guys trust me. I should have qualified this. I want you to stand up and tell your deepest, darkest, ugliest sin to somebody that you don't know this morning. Now, nobody wants to do that. I don't want to do that. Greg doesn't even want to do that, okay? Because we don't know each other well enough. We don't trust one another enough to be able to do that. Uh, But think about the implications of what James is calling the church to do. James is so encouraging. He's helping us to understand that the church is not to be a place where we have to wear a mask. It's not to be a place where we have to hide or to pretend. Jesus made it clear that every one of us that has expressed faith in him have missed the mark. While we were yet sinners, Scripture says Christ died for us. God had to bend down just as low to redeem you as he did the person sitting next to you. And he also had to bend down just as low to redeem the person sitting next to you as he did to you. In the church, the, the level field, it's a level playing field. All of us are a mess. None of us deserve to get to to God. None of us can get to God on our own. The church is to be a safe place where you and I can be authentic and real, recognizing that in reality we are no worse than anyone else. It's a place to be known by other people and to have other people know us again for the good and the bad and, and to accept us good and bad, faults alike. There is a life-changing power when we authentically connect with one another. One of my favorite authors is a man by the name of Larry Crabb. And Larry Crabb is a psychologist, and he was a professor at the University of Illinois. So that gives you a little insight as to why I like Larry Crabb. But Larry Crabb is a committed, godly leader. Uh, He has started a a Bible college in Colorado. He does a lot of graduate studies in in counseling and these kinds of things. He's in his late 70s, and he wrote a book called Connecting, talking about the power of connecting within the church. 
Listen to what Larry Crabb had to say on this issue of connecting. He writes, I've come to believe that the root of all personal and emotional difficulties is a lack of togetherness, a failure to connect that keeps us from receiving life and prevents the life in us from spilling over onto others. I therefore believe that the surest route to overcoming problems and becoming the people that we were meant to be is reconnecting with God and with our community. Church, there's something extraordinary that happens on the inside when the love of God pours from one person's heart into another's. Clearly, this kind of connection doesn't happen often when we're sitting in rows on Sunday mornings. Now, I'll give you, and I pray and hope, that some amount of connection takes place in the parking lot as we walk into this place, that takes place in the cafe, that takes place even after service. Some amount of that kind of life-giving connection can take place on a Sunday morning. But the kind of connection that, that, that uh, we're talking about this morning happens best outside of Sunday mornings and in the context of being in a small group. So I've said small group a number of times. Let me define what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about one or two or three people gathering together, maybe at a coffee uh, shop, to have coffee and, and simply to share life with one another, share openly their struggles and how one another can pray for one, one another. A, a small group can be a more traditional kind of a group where eight to 10 or 12 people gather in a home to, to actually do a Bible study and to talk about what that means and how it applies to our life to, again, just openly share struggles and, and, and pray for one another. It can be that kind of a thing. A, a life-giving small group can be a service group, a, a group that, that serves the church or serves the community and does it together, but, but also connects while they're doing it and, and are open and authentic in, in, in the, the workings of that. James is just simply implying that that kind of connection is life on life. It's in a smaller connection. Listen to another church leader who wrote Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. It says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Once again, there's a certain level of this kind of encouragement that we can get on a Sunday morning, but not nearly as much as what the author is talking about. He's talking about a kind of motivation and encouragement that comes from sharing life together. It's kind of what we read about in Proverbs uh, 27, 17, as iron sharpening iron, so one man sharpens another. It involves being connected together. When God's people get together around a meal, or a service project, or a time of studying the Bible, there is a synergy and a power that just doesn't exist when that doesn't happen. In the Jewish tradition, you had to have 10 men in attendance for you to even um, pray together or to, to go to temple together. And yet when Jesus comes along, Jesus said, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. The church is not a building. 
It's the people. And when we gather around tables in our homes on Monday or in the church on a Tuesday or at a, a, a shop on a Thursday afternoon, the church is gathered. God's desire is that as the church, we be known for love and good deeds. And being connected in that kind of way where we can get involved in each other's lives, sometimes it's kind of messy. Sometimes it means getting down and dirty a little bit. The kind of encouragement and care that Hebrews is talking about, again, is sharing life-on-life experiences, picking one another up, supporting one another with a with uh, God's word, encouraging one another in ways that, that we can do in a small group more effectively than a large group. Finally, I want you to look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul writing this. Paul is one of the primary early church leaders. He planted many, many churches. So listen to what Paul calls the church to. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in the same way, you fulfill the law of Christ. I don't think I need to to tell you this, that in a group this size, as we're sitting in rows facing the same direction, it's pretty easy to hide in the crowd. Again, on on Sunday, it's so easy to come in here and put a smile on our face and act as though everything in our lives or our family's lives is going great. It's easy to fool people that we've got it all together. And yet, in a small group, it's much, much more difficult to hide. Paul's implication here is that those in the church will be relationally connected in such a way that they'll know how one another is doing. When we know a brother or sister has messed up, there is literally, Paul says, to be a hands-on process to gently restore that person. And church, I've seen that take place. I've been in small groups where uh, someone is, their life has kind of gone off the rail, they've verbalized some sinful patterns of behavior in their lives. Uh, I've seen others in that group use God's word to challenge them to to move in a different direction. I've seen individuals just simply weeping as, as people administer God's grace and love and his truth over them and pray for them. I've seen that happen. Paul also says we're to carry each other's burdens. Most people here on Sundays are not aware of the burdens that you carry. Unless you intentionally share it, you can go through an entire service and no one will know the burdens that you carry or that someone else carries. The only way that we'll know that is if we get close to them. In Acts chapter 2, we see a a picture of the early church and how it worked. And in the early church, they didn't live in a commune. Some people have this idea that, that it was like this commune and they, they uh, were insulated from the rest of the world. That's not what happened. They didn't pool everything they had together so that everybody had exactly the same amount. But all the believers held very loosely their possessions. 
They, 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 when they saw a legitimate need, they together came and worked to meet that need. They still met in the temple courts for public worship, but they met in homes and they shared meals and they interacted with one another outside of Sunday morning. Church, what we do together on Sunday mornings is good. It's really good. And it's important. It's of immense value. Let me encourage you. Be here on Sunday mornings as often as you can. Make it a priority in your schedule. And, and what we do in rows is great. But what you can do in the body of Christ in circles is even better. We need to be connected in smaller groups to be able to effectively interact and care for one another. I'm 51 years old. That doesn't surprise most of you. I have had the joy and the privilege of being in at least one or more groups for the past 25 years. I remember as a young married man being invited to my first men's group. Now, mind you, I, I had the joy of growing up in church. I appreciated that. I'd, I'd been around the church, so uh, going to a small group wasn't necessarily unfamiliar territory. We met on Wednesday evenings at 9 p.m. Every Wednesday evening, 9 p.m., and finished at about midnight. Yep, I was tired the next morning. The first night I got there, I can't even in church describe the kind of openness and authenticity that was in that group. But I'll tell you what, the next week I went there, I wouldn't have felt insecure about sharing anything ugly in my life because of the authenticity and the openness that took place in that, in that small group. God has used many men and women. Many of you have been in small groups that Lynn or I have been a part of. He's used many people in those small groups to shape my life, to encourage me, to bless me, to challenge me, to instruct me. Over the years, I've seen firsthand God's power and the power of his word in the context of a small group to impact people dealing with health crises, with grief and loss, with the pain of having maybe a, a child making really, really bad decisions, with job loss and frustration, loss of dreams, marital crisis. I was in a small group with a guy that was in the process of dying. Man, what a, what a rich experience that was. Uh, I've been in, in small groups where people have experienced depression and fear, and the list goes on and on and on. I've seen people in small groups love one another in incredibly practical ways. I've seen people loan tools and vehicles, share meals, do hospital visits, fix cars, remodel houses, clean houses, and have tons and tons of fun in the process. I'm not sure if Andy Stanley coined this phrase, circles are better than rows, but Andy Stanley is a pastor of a huge megachurch in Atlanta, Georgia. And, and Andy Stanley champions small groups probably more than anyone else that I'm aware of. There are 72,000 people 
in, his, in, in their network of churches, 72,000 of people that regularly meet in a small group at that church in many different locations. And one time, somebody asked Andy Stanley, what would happen to your church if you suddenly weren't there? Something happens and Andy Stanley is gone. What would happen to those 72,000 people, that large mega church? And he said, I'll tell you, I'll go, go even one better. I'll tell you what will happen if Andy Stanley wasn't there. I'll tell you what will happen if none of the staff showed up next Sunday and none of the buildings were here. Boom, they're gone. Nothing exists in that church except small groups. He said 72,000 people the following week would get together in homes, in coffee shops, and they would study God's word, and they would encourage and pray for one another. That is awesome. That's awesome. Church, Levi and I, along with the elders of this church, would love to see every single person that calls Crossroads Napoleon home to in some way be connected outside of Sunday mornings. And again, that's in a variety of ways, not necessarily a traditional Bible study. It may be a commitment to meet with one other person on a regular basis for the kinds of things that we're, we've talked about. So here's my challenge. If you're not in a small group, get in one. We would love to help you. I'll be honest with you, if everybody decides to today, we're going to need to start some small group, uh, other small groups. But, but do that. Either get in one or make the commitment to actually start a small group. That would be wonderful. If you are already in a small group, and I'm saying this to me as well as everyone else, if you're in a small group, challenge yourself to an increased degree of authenticity and realness. Let's use these small groups in a powerful, powerful way that God wants those small groups to be used. I want to finish with one small quote from Andy Stanley. He says, your greatest investment in the local church may be in preparing the way for your child or your grandchild. Your greatest investment in a local church may be in preparing the way for your child or your grandchild. Church, at the end of this month, we are going to celebrate God's faithfulness to Crossroads Napoleon for the past 10 years. The band can go ahead and come up if you want. And by God's grace, I pray that for many, many, many years, Crossroads Napoleon will be a place that has a place at the table for anyone in Henry County or in this area that wants to come to know and grow in Jesus Christ. I pray that that happens. But if, if you haven't noticed, times are changing. We as a people have had historically incredible freedom in this country to worship publicly. And I don't say what I'm about to say as an alarmist at all. I say it as in an attempt to say we've got to prepare ourselves for the future. But I am not 100% sure that our children and our grandchildren are always going to have the freedoms that we have to worship in a space like this publicly. As I've outlined this morning, there are a lot of compelling reasons to get involved in a small group. And here is yet one more. That if there was ever a time where we couldn't come together and meet 
publicly like we are, that there would already be a network of a, a place for everybody to continue to do what we do here, to worship, to, to, to study God's word, to challenge and encourage one another. Friends, you can't do in rows what you can do in circles. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for each person that is a part of Crossroads Napoleon. Lord, you know in my own life how meaningful it is to be able to come here on Sunday mornings and to, to connect with my church family to worship and to hear your word proclaimed and to just to interact and, and have a lot of fun. And Lord, I pray that, that we would be a church that, that takes advantage of that opportunity as often as we can, takes seriously our part in the body to, to, to be involved that way. And yet I also pray, Lord, that at Crossroads Napoleon, we would connect more and more people in small groups. I pray that there'd be more and more opportunities for the, in the week for us to challenge and to encourage one another, to, to sit across one another, to look face-to-face -face and actually be able to be uh, authentic and real about our struggles, to dispense the grace that you have given to us to one another. Lord, that would just be awesome. And I pray this year that more and more of that kind of life-on-life -life relationship would take place. Lord, to be honest, I don't know what keeps people from, from looking for that or desiring that, if it's if it's fear, if it's a, a sense that maybe they wouldn't fit in or be rejected. Lord, I pray by the power of your spirit that you would dispel those kinds of fears, that you would give the nudges that need to be made for people to connect. And we thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.